This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Justin, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep, deep, diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey, everybody! Welcome in. It's the Utopia Football Podcast. It is. A uh, first week of the postseason, or divisional round, I should say second week of the postseason edition of the show. It's our mailbag episode, so we're going to get into some of your questions. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com is the email address if you want to send in a question uh, for the uh, mailbag episode next week, because we've got all our questions for this week. My name is Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast on Sports Radio 610, joined as always by my good friend, the Hall of Famer. And he is a uh, he's our our senior Texans columnist at SportsRadio610.com, and of course GalleriesSports.com as well. John McClain and John, I guess before we get into the mailbag questions, um, the big Texans news this week is regarding the coaching search. Since you and I did the episode earlier this week, I guess what's happened is the Sean Payton interview on Colin Cowherd got a lot of people um, excited, at least that that. Sean Payton had a lot of nice things to say about the Texans coaching opening. And, and Sean Payton has actually had an interview with the Texans since you and I last sat down to record. So I guess we'll, let's start with, with Sean Payton. Um, how are you feeling about Sean Payton's courtship with the, uh, with the Texans on the heels of the two sort of milestones, I guess, that, that I just brought up there? I don't have a feel at all because, number one, he should say nice things about everybody. Colin Coward's producer, who we know, Greg Tooley, he's the one that told him to ask him about Houston, and he did. And he said good things about Casario and the McNairs. And he talked about all the time he practiced against them, uh, joint practices. They had three days here, and when they did it in New Orleans, none of these people were in positions they're in now. And uh, so – um People still don't know if he's going to take one of these jobs. You know, there's speculation. Mike Florio, would he and Brady try to go to Carolina? Two things I found out this week that are important. There were reports on NFL media over the weekend they wanted a first-round pick and more. Paid said, nope, it's been worked out. It's for a mid-low-round pick. One first-round pick. I'm stunned mm-hmm. that they'll settle for that, but that's what – he said, and also, if you get permission to interview him, you got to know what you're going to give. So the Texans know what they're going to give, and it's just a matter of whether it's the right organization for him. He talked; he was positive about the picks. He wants a lot of money. Money's never been an issue for the McNairs, so I think they got a chance. I have no idea how good those chances are. Yeah. So the other thing you said today on our show, John, on Payne and Pendergast, was that you also talked to somebody who said that Peyton doesn't necessarily need 
it in writing that he's got final say over um, over uh, personnel decisions. Yeah, I was told that he just wants a general manager he can work closely with. Now, that means a general manager is going to do what I want. And Nick Casario has in his contract, he has final say, but both David Cully and Lovey Smith talked about talking to Casario every day. And uh, and both of them said good things on and off the record about working with Nick. He's not an egomaniac. And I think he knows and respects Peyton enough that if Peyton wants to do something and he doesn't, if they can't work it out, then uh, he probably should acquiesce to Sean Peyton. But you never know until they get in that situation if it's not in writing. And he could pull out his contract. Like Jimmy Johnson did with Jerry Jones, say, "Hey, look at my contract. I got it right here. I got final say on everything." Nick doesn't seem to have that kind of personality, mm-hmm. and uh, and Peyton is an alpha personality. And he had Mickey Loomis, a good friend of his, as the GM. Mickey was a cap guy. Mickey became a GM. He was not a personnel expert, so he made sure Peyton got just about everything he wanted. So it doesn't mean Casario is going to have to be fired. It doesn't mean he's going to have to take a lesser position with a pay cut. The key now is with everything that they can offer with draft choices and cap money and giving it control of the coaching staff, you know, and there's nothing not to like about the McNairs. The key is telling him and other candidates why we fired two coaches after they were one and done. People in Houston seem to know because the teams were terrible. They regressed this year offensively under Pep Hamilton's worst offense I've seen the Texans have, and uh, I think people nationally, they do have a problem with it. They never watch the Texans game. They don't know what's going on. They just know it makes you look inept, and it does, and you fire two coaches back-to-back. So I think they haven't had trouble conveying that. It's like Jonathan Gannon, if he hadn't liked Casario and the McNairs last year during two interviews, or if he'd have been upset that they – dumped him and went with Lovey Smith, he wouldn't have interviewed again this year. And yeah. he did. He's highly he's highly sought of. And uh and so I think they'll get somebody they want. The question is, will they pull the trigger? And I don't have a problem with them giving up a first round pick for Sean Payton because his record, he's over sixty percent winning percentage and he's won a Super Bowl and he's regarded as a great coach. Yeah, no doubt. I, I guess if we're doing you know sort of pros and cons of Peyton, I, I mean the pros outweigh the cons to be sure. Uh, the pros are obvious. You know, the instant relevance, uh, instant credibility for the franchise for a franchise that's been, you know, to put it gently, is you know lacking in credibility over the last uh, few years. Um, and and I think yeah, if you, especially if you're going to draft a young quarterback, nobody better to nurture him uh, along than than Sean Payton. As far as the cons go, John, would you be concerned about? I mean, it's going to be a lot of money, and I know it's the McNair's money, and we don't need to pocket watch on them. But I am concerned, I guess, about Payton's motivation. You know, is he viewing this as just one last gigantic cash grab uh, as opposed to? you know, some sort of, uh, you know, fully all-in rebuilding effort. Are you concerned about that at all with Sean Payton? Absolutely not. Payton's very, very competitive. He wants to win. Mm-hmm. You know, when he was suspended that year because of Bounty Gate, he coached high school. And I talked to a person that's a really good friend of his. 
And he said he's pumped about coming back, but he wants the best situation because it's going to be the last time he gets one for all intents and purposes. And so he's got to be very careful. You know, ownership is important. You know, you look at Carolina, Dave Tepper, everybody talks about all the money he's got. He does, but they haven't won squat. And people say, well, the Texans haven't won squat. Well, they did. They won four division titles in five years and two playoff games, no matter what people think that still they did do that they haven't been bad but three years i went through one six-year stretch when the oilers were pathetic and picked in the top five every year and so people here don't know what it's like to suffer and so i think it would be great if they got him if they didn't i'd love to see D'Amico rides he's interviewing on friday and uh and or one of these bright young coordinators like shane steichen at philadelphia has the most balanced offense in the league you know, he's coached Jalen Hurts. He calls plays. He's done a great job with the running and the passing game, except the two games Hurt was hurt. And uh, Ben Johnson pulled out. I'm writing a column on uh, sportsradio610.com about that. And he better hope it turns out like D'Amico did last year and not like Byron Leftwich, who was talked about as a head hot head coaching candidate, got interviews. And now people are talking about him being fired. John, I think if we're just to stay on Peyton for another minute or two here, and I'm sure we've got mailbag questions about Peyton as well. So this won't be the last we talk of him on this episode. By my count, the only by my count, first of all, there's only five openings right now, um, which is a very low number uh, for coaching openings. And I don't know that I'm I, like it feels like McCarthy is pretty safe in Dallas right now, based you know like on the heels of them beating Tampa Bay. You never know, I guess, if they get embarrassed against San Francisco, maybe that changes. Um, but what I was going to say was, if if Sean Payton is hell-bent on coaching this coming season, um, and and he's indicated, he's you know, he was asked by, by the Fox guys what the chances are he'd be back in studio with them next year, and he actually said 7 out of 10 that he's back in studio with them next year. Who knows how much of that is posturing? But of the five openings... Four of them, by my count, have requested interviews with Sean Payton. I, I don't believe Indy has, or at least if they have, I have not seen that. And if he's hell-bent on coaching, this thing might break the Texans' way just based on the sheer lack of, of openings and specifically two of the four openings that have requested interviews with Payton. I think there's potential issues there. You know, Arizona just hired a GM, Monty Austinfort, who's off of that Belichick Patriots tree and and uh and I, I got to imagine Peyton was looking at that job going okay well they don't have a GM yet maybe I can have some sort of hand in that them going and hiring a GM before getting down the road with Peyton I think is is telling um Denver I know he's interviewing with Denver um uh, one of the things he brought up when he was talking about the Texans on Cowherd was the division the Texans play in and so I have to believe that that's a big negative for Denver that you're going to have <laughs> to deal be. right that you're going to have to deal with Mahomes and Justin Herbert for the next 10 years. I'm I'm being serious. Like I think that's got to be that's got to way. And so like it comes down to Carolina and Houston. Um you know are the two that 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 would maybe seem to line up, you know, as long as he's as long as he knows I mean look, these are all teams that would be picking in the top 10 if they, you know, if Denver had their pick, they'd be picking in the top 10. So these are all bad football teams right now. So he knows he's going to be taking over a bad football team inherently. Um, but it, I, I don't know. Like I look at each situation and what's happened over the last 
few days, and I'm going, man, this thing, this thing might break the Texans' way if they want to do it with Sean Payton. It certainly might. I'd be stunned if the Saints let him go to Carolina, a division rival, and let him compete against the Saints. That just that would be strange. I well, why would they? But then why would they even grant him permission to talk to them then, John? I know that's why it's so strange that yeah. they would do that because they'd be competing against him twice a year. Yeah, and I can't imagine they'd want to do that, especially with Dennis Allen as their head coach, and they need a quarterback desperately. I guess I would demand more from the Panthers. I'd say, okay, you're in the division. It's going to cost you two ones yep. or a one and a two, whatever they could work out. Because if they if they go against Carolina and Carolina dominates the division and uh, and beats oh. the Saints, they're going to take a beating. Yeah. Among their fans, media, social media, it's going to be just unbelievable. And, you know, he could say, okay, Nick, if there's so few jobs this year, it means there's going to be a lot more next year. And we still could get a, a stunner. Some teams that's surprising, maybe like Todd Bowles. Buccaneers have never had a one and done, but he didn't do a very good job. People forget Todd Bowles coached the Jets, had one good season, then he got fired. And uh, they're talking about Byron left, which being fired, Brady leaving. They could be in trouble. And uh, But I could see him wanting to go to one of the South divisions because even though Jacksonville's won six in a row and kind of everybody's darlings, the fact is Texans beat them once this year, and they've, they've dominated them in recent years. And I could see, like Tennessee – Tennessee, if they get a quarterback to replace Ryan Tannehill and get a couple offensive linemen, they don't need defense. They got a great defense. They could jump right back up there and compete with the Jaguars. Doesn't that sound weird? Compete with the Jaguars. Yeah, yeah. It shows a vision title. It shows how quickly things can turn. All right. So, John, let's get into the mailbag edition of this. Again, if you or the mailbag portion of this episode, um, if you want to send us a question, mailbag at gmail.com. The first one I'm looking at, John, I get I get an email um, from Jimmy Shapiro, who's a PR guy who sends odds out on different things. Yeah, so I get those. Yeah, yeah, they're they're kind of fun. I, we don't do need to do too deep a dive on these, but he sent out he sent to the mailbag uh, uh, the odds on each of the five head coaching openings, and I just wanted to hit the favorite for each of these with you and just get your take. Sean Payton is the favorite for none of them. He's on the board for all of them but he's a favorite for none of them. Um, so just, I want to rapid fire these at you, just the favorites and tell you, tell me if you think they're legitimate favorites for the job and what kind of hire, you know, if you had to grade it, what it would be. And I'll start with the Texans. They've got Jonathan Gannon, a three to two favorite over. Well, they've got Ben Johnson in here. He's out of the mix now because he's going back to Detroit, but they've got, they've got Jonathan Gannon over Ben Johnson, Shane Steichen, Mike Kafka and D'Amico Ryans in that order. Um, your thoughts on Jonathan Gannon as the favorite and what type of hire, what what grade would you give if that ended up being the hire? He's done a really good job with the Eagles. He's got four players in double-digit sacks. They lead the league in sacks. Everybody loves the way his defensive front plays. I'm guessing they're making him the favorite because he's interviewed three times now in a year. And uh, if he doesn't get the job this year, I don't think he's going to get it. If they're going to hire a defensive coordinator, I'd love to see it be D'Amico Ryans. And if mm-hmm. we're going to have an offensive coordinator, I'd love to see Shane Steichen from the Eagles or Mike Kafka from the Giants. And if they hire Gannon, I don't know, I have any problem with it because the guy's done a good job and they certainly would be thorough. They're going to have 
they'll have guys come in for interviews next. You might end up on a third interview, but uh, I wouldn't have a problem with Gannon, but I still think it's going to be an offensive coach. Carolina, they have the favorite as Ben Johnson, who is, we just mentioned, he's going back to Detroit. Next one down the list for the Panthers is Shane Steichen, who they have him over Steve Wilkes, the interim head coach, and Sean Payton is next on their list. Shane Steichen to the Panthers as the new favorite. What do you think of that? He's been a coordinator longer than any of the Texans candidates, three years. He's calling the plays for Nick Sirianni this season. And they may be the best team in the NFL. If Jalen Hurts hadn't gotten hurt and that's missed of two games, they might have been 16-1. and one. And uh, I think Steichen, you talk about a guy that's ready to be a head coach. He is. And wherever he goes, unless they've blown it big time, he should be a very intriguing uh, possibility. Dan Quinn is the favorite right now for the Denver Broncos job. You know, it's interesting. Under Vic Fangio, they played a three-man front, and they were great. And then Dan Quinn plays a four-man front, and his his team led the NFL in takeaways, and they were number two in sacks. And last year, he was defensive coach, defensive coach of the year. Everybody likes Dan Quinn. He went to a Super Bowl with the Falcons. If they want a veteran coach, Dan Quinn would be a good guy for them. And then I think they're going to want to vet after the way they bombed out so bad with Nathaniel Hackett. Yeah, I think it'd be really interesting to see who Dan Quinn brings along with him to try to rehab the career of Russell Wilson. That, I mean, that's obviously that's the biggest thing that needs to happen in Denver is is getting Russell Wilson straightened out. And, and, and along those lines, it surprises me a little bit that a defensive guy is the favorite for that job right now, considering how big a project that is. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. All right, the last two, John, have – ties to the Texans. Um, the favorite for the Cardinals job right now, according to the odds makers, is Vance Joseph, former DB coach for the Texans, former um, head coach with the Broncos for a couple of years, and he's been the defensive coordinator in Arizona under Cl- Cliff Kingsbury. Um, he's the favorite right now to take over for his former boss, Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah, I don't know if that'd be good. Vance has been fired once. and uh, Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's not going to ignite the fan base. I think this, a lot of people there are scared to death. They're going to, the Monty Olsen is going to hire Brian Flores because mm-hmm. he's from the Patriots. Now, Flores, uh, people in Miami had a great, a, a really good last season. He's suing everybody <laughs> and he was working for the Steelers this year. But people in, in Arizona like people here. They don't want the Patriot way. They don't want to hear any more about the Patriot way. And they're, of course, they're on pins and needles worried about it's coming, just like it went to Vegas this year with Ziegler and McDaniels, and they were a huge disappointment compared to the year before. Now you could have the same thing coming for uh, the Cardinals. Yeah. And I thought the Cardinals would be a great place for Peyton to go. Yeah. And uh, because he knew the, he knows the Bidwell family as forever. He's tell people how much he likes Kyler Murray. He could have handpicked his own GM, and they didn't wait. Monty Austin for it worked for the Texans two times early on for Charlie Casserly. He left the Patriots for the Titans because he thought it would help him get a GM job, uh, a better chance to get a GM job, which is weird because others have gotten GM jobs there. John Robinson went to the Buccaneers from there for a year. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of surprised John Robinson, considering what he did in Nashville, didn't got hasn't gotten another job because as you know, 
A lot of those GMs that gets fired, they don't get second chances. They don't. They don't. It's not like coaching. Well, just for what it's worth, John, Sean Payton is number two on the odds board for the Cardinals job. Minus uh, behind, I should say, Vance Joseph. Brian Flores, third on the list. So your your spidey sense is spot on right now when it comes to that Cardinals job. Boy, John, I would be terrified if I were a Cardinals coach in hiring Brian Flores just based on some of the things that we heard out of Miami this year with Tua and just how – how Tua had to stand in front of the mirror and ask himself, that if, do, do I suck because of how hard Flores was on him while he was there? That's not a team. Boy, that Kyler Murray-Brian Flores mix could be a toxic brew, my friend. Wow. And that's one of the reasons they're talking about it. They need some discipline. Kingsbury was more of a player's coach. Oh, yeah. He didn't yell and scream at him. It was all cerebral stuff. And and I watched all the hard knocks uh, in season because of White and Hopkins. Kingsbury, I thought, came across as a really good guy. Mm-hmm. And but now they don't want a really good guy. Brian Flores come in there and kick some ass. And uh and he's the one that was a driving force behind the Deshaun Watson pursuit. Mm-hmm. And uh uh if he didn't like Tua Tungavailoa, what's he gonna think about Kyler Murray and the way Kyler goes about doing his business when it comes to preparation on game plans? Last one. The favorite for the Colts head coaching job, John, according to the odds makers, D'Amico Ryans, four to one. Yeah, I'm wondering why they're thinking that about D'Amico. I've not heard anything there about about him. Maybe Chris Ballard knows him, but uh, I would be surprised. I'd, yeah. I'd love to see him here, just like everybody would. Uh, he's uh, he's going to get a. I guess he's going to get a head coaching job. You know, he had one interview last year. And then he just turned him down, said he was going to stay. And I wonder with D'Amico last year and Ben Johnson, when they get in interviews, if they're asked about things that either they're not prepared for or they think they're going to need to do better and they think they need another season of seasoning. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think there's a lot to commend people about that. But I think uh, D'Amico in the division, if the Texans can't get him, it'd be great. It would help uh, fuel a rivalry. All right, let's get to the some more of the mailbag questions. Wale, a frequent emailer in Virginia, sent in a couple questions. I like this one, though, on the heels of what we just talked about. Um, he says, I'm excited about the list of candidates the Texans are considering for the job. Do you think there are any choices on here that if they were the head coach would wind up as disappointments for the fan base. I think I asked you a question that was kind of similar to this on our show today on Payne and Pendergast. John, do you think there's any candidates on this list? There's no weird candidates this time, like Heinz Ward or interviewees. He was never a candidate, but like Heinz Ward, Josh McCown, probably the gold standard for weird candidates. Are there any on this list that you feel like would be a, a real letdown for the fan base? David Cully, you know, David they, Culley, they, yes. <laughs> they worked with uh, uh, the, What's the company Jed uses company? Corn Ferry. Corn Ferry that recommends coaches. They're not yeah. wor- working with them now. And I don't blame them. I don't think a good GM needs a company like that to recommend head coaches. There's too many things. The league has compiled video interviews with coaches that you can just dial up if you and watch it and think, I want to interview that guy. And plus, word of mouth, you got a lot of connections in the league that Casario does. There's people he can call up, say, what do you think about so-and-so or so-and-so? So uh, I don't see anybody that people have said, oh, no, not that guy. And uh, I think they're through with that. After the fiasco of the last two years, 
I think those days are over. This is the first one that Nick Casario has been able to do with no strings attached. Wale also has a question about Sean Payton's comments about drafting prototypes in the top 15. Um, He says, I thought all along C.J. Stroud is worth the gamble. What are your thoughts about drafting C.J., pairing C.J. Stroud with Sean Payton uh, as his coach? Well, first of all, uh, as it was pointed out to Peyton when he said that about the top 15 players, well, you wouldn't have drafted Drew Brees because Drew was six foot even. That certainly wasn't prototype when he came out in 2001 as the first pick in the second round. And when Peyton got him, he had played well for the uh, Chargers until he blew out his shoulder. And uh, and I, Nick Saban has told people their doctors in Miami didn't give them good reports about him being able to bounce back. And that was one of the greatest moves a team made in history that mm-hmm. the Saints made to get Drew Brees. And, uh, and they were a great marriage, uh, Peyton and Brees. But um, I, I – I don't know the answer to that question. I wish I knew more. I talked to people about candidates. You know, Bryce Young, I've seen so much from NF, former NFL people, like former uh, Vikings general manager Rick Spielman had a thing this week. Mm-hmm. And he's a longtime personnel director about how Bryce Young's size was not going to be a detriment. They're not worried about his size being a detriment to throwing the ball. They're worried about his size being a detriment to standing up to 17 games and preseason games and and maybe playoff games at some point. And the fact that he's so frail, you know, he does Kyler Murray weighed 207 and I'm heard he ate like crazy before the combine. And I'm Mm -hmm. guessing Bryce Young is feasting seven times a day, his agent having meat doing the kind of things you and I wish we could do every day. Mm -hmm. And the key is, it's uh, it's everybody talks about how frail he is and how thin, mm-hmm. not about that he's might be five ten and a half or five eleven, not six foot. Where Stroud is listed six three two fifteen, that means he could be six two when he gets to the combine, which would be fine. If you go back and watch Stroud's last game of each of the last two seasons, which he was incredible against Utah in the Rose Bowl, six touchdown passes. Mm-hmm. And an incredible against Georgia, four touchdown passes, 10 touchdown passes in the last two games of each season. Yeah. He gets a lot of people's attention. Plus, he works hard. He's a good guy. He had great receivers. And uh, Bryce Young did not have that this season. But I still would rather have Young. I've seen some mock drafts, including Dane Brugler of The Athletic, who I respect a lot. He has the Texans taking Levis. Yeah. And has Bryce Young fallen to, I think, Carolina? No, no, no. He's got Bryce. Yeah, he's got the Colts no, trading up to get Stroud, Bryce. Stroud was, going to. Uh, in Carolina, Carolina. Yeah, and Carolina trading up to get Stroud at four, I believe. Something four or five. No, that's what he had. I have no idea. Maybe they will end up liking Will Levis. He's got size, arm, mobility. He's Ugh. older, but he did not have a good season. He's from Connecticut, John. There's no good quarterbacks that come from Connecticut. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Dan Orlovsky. Except good for Steve Young. players and, and good basketball players. That's it. Yeah, except for Steve Young. Greenwich's finest. Um, Steve Young, Hall of Famer. Um, all right, John. I like this one here. This is from our friend Chris in the ATL, native Houstonian who listens in Atlanta to the podcast. You're at NRG for an event, and you get in an elevator. Next to you is the Texans head coaching candidate that you want them to hire 
but you've heard they're iffy on the city of Houston. What's your 30-second elevator pitch to them on why H-Town is a great place to live? I've been waiting to ask you this one, John. Well, first of all, uh, none of them don't like Houston. Everybody loves Houston. Nobody likes the uh, uh, the humidity and traffic's in every city. So if you're going to make a quick pitch, you point out there's no state income tax. Mm-hmm. You point out that uh, price of housing is so much cheaper. You're great school systems. And and the roads, if you think about our traffic, when you figure 610 and the Sam Houston Tollway and then 99, it's not hard to get around here. Great people, incredible diversity, uh, second best restaurants in the country to New York City, sorry, San Francisco. And, and the fact that uh, every year so many people want to move to Houston and in this fans here are fanatical about their football. I would, too, point out that uh, depending on what their family situation is, the medical center as well. Like, I would imagine that was when they were pitching O'Brien. You know, O'Brien has his son who's got special medical needs. I got to imagine having the med center five minutes from where they lived was a big, big selling point, too. And I'd say don't pay any attention to all those Cowboy fans. They're like cockroaches. Just step on them. There you go. Okay, there you go. See, I knew there was I knew there was something coming. All right, next one, John. Um, let's see. Um, Kevin Barry uh, sends in this question. What do you attribute Mills' regression, Davis Mills' regression this year to? Sophomore slump and or bad coaching? Um, probably could be both, but what are your thoughts on Davis Mills regression? Well, who do you point the finger at John on that one? Well, everybody knows where the fingers pointed. Pep Hamilton, Pep Hamilton is a quarterback coach. Everybody said he did a really good job coaching Mills last year. That's why we all were excited for him to be the coordinator. I guess we should have paid more attention to the last time he was a coordinator in the NFL. He got fired in November and that was with Andrew Luck. And, um, uh, I think he did a terrible job on the play calling and his use of personnel and uh, just did one of the worst jobs I've ever seen of an offensive coordinator. And it cost, it cost Mills. I'll guarantee you if the Texans cut Mills and they want, he'd be in Nashville in a heartbeat. (laughs) Well, that's where they all go, John. I feel like there's a bullet train to Nashville from Houston that is only used by the Tennessee Titans and the Houston Texans. (laughs) The the follow-up by Kevin, to that question was just on where you see Mills career going. Like John, in 10 years, what category of quarterback are we talking about with Davis Mills? Is he a career backup at that point? Is he one of these bridge guys? Like 10 years from now, what do you think we're saying about Davis Mills? I think Davis Mills would have had a, a, a good career. It might have been as a backup who, who played when he had to, I'd like to see him get a chance with a proven offensive coach like uh Sean Payton coaching him, and if the number one pick, if he didn't want to play him right away because they had too many other issues on offense and they were going to start Mills a couple of games before they went to him, I'd love to see what Mills could do with better coaching and play calling. Ooh, Mills could be the Tom Savage to Bryce Young's Deshaun Watson. Could be. (laughs) Uh, Well, we know how that worked out (laughs) 30 minutes into the season. (laughs) That didn't last long. Um, this is an interesting one from Gus in Pearland. If the Texans could have one head coach firing back and let it play out with that guy and try to pull the team out of the nosedive, who would it be? Who do you think would have had a better chance pulling out of their nosedive, Gary Kubiak or Bill O'Brien? Kubiak, because Gary, he didn't win his first five years. That last year, everybody wanted him fired. 
And uh, I remember talking to Bob McNair one day, about six or seven, he was leaving, walking through the through the under underneath to go to his car. And I was coming out of the media room and he told me, he said, I believe in Gary. I believe in what we're doing. I'm going to give him another season. And that other season uh, broke right. They hired Wade Phillips. They uh, drafted J.J. Uh, Watt. They signed Jonathan Joseph and Danielle Manning. Connor Barwin came back from a season-ending injury, and it all worked out. And they won their first division title. So Kubiak never changes his demeanor. You know, Brian, at the end, Bill, nobody wanted to be around Bill. He was blowing his stack at people, people that he liked, people that he didn't like, and and they were walking on eggshells. That's not what you want when you're trying to pull out of a snafu, and Gary had the perfect demeanor. All right, Joe Q sends this in. He lays it out a certain way with this question. I'm just going to simplify it a little bit. Um, he says, isn't the coach more important than the draft pick, uh, than the top draft pick when it comes to – when it comes to to building a team, he says, if so, why are we crying so much about winning in week 18? So I'll just pose it a different way, John. What do you think is more important that the Texans get right? This head coaching hire or the pick of if they take a quarterback with one of those top with that second overall pick that they have? It's always a head coach, because if you get a bad quarterback, it doesn't matter who the coach is. Then you're going to be shuffling them in and out. Look at Zach Wilson. They made that kind of mistake or if they drafted Ryan Lee or Jeff George or one of those guys that was picked high and it didn't work out. If you got a coach that's going to be around a while and the quarterback doesn't work, you can always go get another one. And uh, But I think that's imperative that they get the right head coach. They get the, okay, so you have coach, so you agree with Joe then that the coaching is more important. His follow-up question to that is, why are most head coaching hires so bad? <laughs> What are your th- do you have thoughts on that? I, I've not sat down to look at all the head coaching hires over the last few years. More, more often than not, they don't work out because only one team can win the Super Bowl every year. It's a zero-sum game. Not every team can go win 11 games in the NFL. There's a win and a loss in every game. Let me say something about first quarterbacks. Yeah, I've always thought in most cases, if a highly rated quarterback who's rated high by everybody bombs out, yeah. it's more about the team the system, the terminology, mm-hmm. an impatient owner. Some quarterbacks picked high have had three or four offensive coordinators in their first three or four years. And stability, the lack of st- stability hurts. So usually it's the people around him. You know, what they do at the offensive line, the weapons. And with a head coach, it's like if you think about uh, – if you think about these guys come in and they've been coached up, They've worked with professionals. Their agents have made sure they got the best possible people to help them with their interviews. And you need to dig. And that's one thing Casario's got a lot of contacts from being in the NFL now, what, 22 years. And there's people he should be able to call about somebody. Yep. You know, I've been calling about some of these guys to see what people think about them on a personal basis. How are they to deal with? We know what their records are. and We know what the public persona is but what are they like behind the scenes i don't need to know that about D'Amico because i've known him since 06 but these others i do and i know more about sean payton because he's been around a long time but you never know for sure sean Mm -hmm. if you take a highly rated offensive or defensive coordinator like say shane steichen mike kafka mike kafka or jonathan gannon 
you never know for sure how they're going to do when they're named head coach. Yep. We see so many teams, they hire the coach from a successful organization. Oh, he worked with Andy Reid and their offense was great. Well, that's because of Andy and a quarterback. So that's, I think that is why so many coaches bomb out. It also can have to do with the owner. It can have to do with the owner putting pressure on them, firing people, firing coaches, pressuring them to draft this guy or sign this guy. So that's why those coaches got to make sure it's a good situation for them as well. Okay. This, this is the last one, John. This is from Clifton Buchanan to the mailbag here. John, are you ready to admit you were dead wrong on Zach Wilson and the Texans actually dodged a bullet when they weren't able to trade Watson to the Jets and draft Zach Wilson? Well, I don't remember what my opinion was of Zach Wilson. What I, how I determined my opinion on prospects is the people that I read that I respect. Mm-hmm. And the Jets weren't – people are trying to act like now the New York media and the New York fans, the Jets were the only team that would have drafted him that I know. Go back. So if I, I can't remember what I said. So yeah, I'll say I was wrong on Zach Wilson, but it doesn't mean he still won't be a really good quarterback. It's just going to have to be somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, that, that quarterback class from 2021 is, is, uh, I mean, Davis Mills had a bad year and he still might be the third best quarter, fourth best quarterback. And he only started 11 games in college. Yeah. And Brock Purdy started 48. Yeah, And Bill Parcells used to say he didn't want a quarterback unless he'd been a three-year starter in college. He'd have to change that today because so many start like 24, 25 for two-year starters, and then they come out. But I think the more experience you get in college, I think the better better chance you have of making a quicker adjustment. All right. So that is uh, that does it for our mailbag episode this week. If you want to send in more questions, there's certainly going to be more Texans news popping over the next few days. And we got a whole round of playoff games coming up. We should probably hit that, John, on the way out here. But by the way, H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. This will be the last time you and I talk before this weekend of playoff games Four divisional round games. The Saturday games are Kansas City. Uh, hosting Jacksonville. And then the night game is the Eagles hosting the Giants. And then the Sunday games, the Bengals are in Buffalo to take on the Bills. And then the late game is the 49ers hosting the Cowboys. If you had to if you had to power rank those games, John, of those four games, which one are you most looking forward to? Um, I I think boy, 49ers and Cowboys, that's a great game. Cincinnati's a great game. Philly and the Giants, you know, the Jacksonville game, Kansas City ought to blow out the Jaguars. I'm picking the four home teams. If the Bengals hadn't lost three starting offensive linemen, I might pick them because Buffalo has not played well, not nearly as well as they're capable over recent games, but they got an eight-game winning streak. The Bengals have nine. The Niners have 11. It's hard to believe the Niners are the highest-scoring team in the NFL when Brock Purdy started six games and played almost all of the seventh one. But there's some great coaching going on right now. And I and I believe this, that uh, these games traditionally, Sean, are the most exciting, and I can't wait. Yeah, these are good. It's a, This was an amazing round of games last year. You know, that, that was those were all the last-second field goals in that, that Buffalo-Kansas City game that was – I don't think I don't think Buffalo punted the whole game like it was and they lost <laughs> and it was still it's still the case they lost in overtime if you had to last thing and then we'll get out of here John of the four underdogs in this game all four of the road teams are underdogs in these games um if you had to pick one 
to win. You bet your life. You got to pick one of these underdogs to win a game. Which one would you? Which one would you pick? Well, the two choices would be uh, the Bengals, and because they went to the Super Bowl last year, they're mm-hmm. tested in the playoffs in uh, uh, cold weather. Yeah. But the Cowboys get pressure on a quarterback, and at yeah. some point, people think Brock Purdy is going to have a bad game. And so even though they are lead the league in turnover differential plus 13, I would say the Cowboys because I think they're going to get the kind of heat on Purdy that he has not experienced. Yeah, I would agree with you. But then I think back a couple of years ago, and San Francisco won the NFC title game with Jimmy Garoppolo throwing the ball eight times. <laughs> you know, like Raheem Mostert had like 180 yards rushing in that game. I just, boy, that's that John. That is that game. I'm with you. I like I the Cowboys. They they're a talented football team. So San Francisco, obviously. I just can't get past the head coaching matchup in that game of Kyle Shanahan versus Mike McCarthy. Like I, I can't in good conscience pick the Cowboys. I might not bet the game at all, but I can't pick Mike McCarthy on the road against the Kyle Shanahan coach team. I can't. One is I won a Super Bowl and the other hasn't. Okay, well, which we'll, one would you pick? Uh, probably Shanahan, honestly. Like, no, can't... no, I'm talking about which underdog would you pick? Oh, oh, I bet thought you meant in that game. I, I, I thought you meant in that game. No, it'd be Cincinnati for me. Cincinnati, uh, for sure. Uh, you brought up great reasons. Uh, they're, they're comfortable in the weather. They're comfortable in that environment. They won in Kansas City in the AFC title game last year. Joe Burrow is a cool customer. Them having issues on the offensive line, fortunately, I guess, in a weird way, is nothing new for them. It's not like Joe Burrow dealing with pressure. <laughs> it's going to be something that he got sacked nine times when they beat Tennessee last year in the playoff game. So, um, so it, it would be Cincinnati for me, for sure. Um, but it should be fun. Should I? And I'm I'm kind of those first two games on Saturday, just kind of hoping for some close games, closer than we expect. The the dogs were barking this past week, John. A lot of a lot of underdogs playing. You know the giving a, a a better tussle to the favorites than we thought. You know, by Baltimore and Miami were supposed to be walkovers for uh for um the the Bills and the Bengals, and it was anything but. So should be fun. It's going to be a great round, should be competitive, and everybody's interested in every game. Yep, absolutely. All right, we're done. We are out of time. That was a fun mailbag episode. We went a little longer than normal, but we got so much stuff to get into. Um, So we appreciate all of you tuning in and subscribing and downloading and click that subscribe button. You'll get it automatically sent free of charge to uh, whatever your device is that you choose to listen to the Utopia Football Podcast. Give us a five-star review. John, I checked our reviews. We've got straight five stars across the board on all our reviews. We have yet to get a sub five <laughs> review on well, the thanks to everybody that gives us a review. That's it on iTunes. It really helps us out uh, when you do that. So we appreciate that. Now someone's going to give us a three just to knock out our perfect game that we're <laughs> pitching right now in the podcast world. Um, but that's fine. Uh, so we appreciate you uh, downloading, subscribing, all that good stuff. Appreciate Figgy Fig for getting the podcast out to all of you. For John McClain, the Hall of Famer, I am Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. We will see all of you next week. Following up the divisional round, we'll know who the final four teams are in the NFL, and we'll have all kinds of news. And if the Texans do anything worthy of an emergency podcast, you know we're not afraid to do that as well. So we'll keep an eye on that head coaching search. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for tuning in.